Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 17th of June. Joining me on this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. On this island there's no such thing as safe. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. We haven't landed yet. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. This is T-Rex P. So, welcome back to the AV Forums podcast and we haven't had a high profile actor die recently. Until this week, well, at the weekend, well, last weekend, it was announced on Thursday. Sadly, Christopher Lee passed on, Steve. He did, although in all fairness, he was 93 years old, so a fairly good innings, I'd have said, for most people. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's a genre fan knows of Christopher Lee and, and loves his work. He, he's, you know, If you look through his um, career, he's played just about every major genre <laughs> character. I mean, Dracula, obviously, but he also played Frankenstein's Monster. He played The Mummy, played Rasputin, played Fu Manchu, slightly slightly um you know culturally incorrect perhaps these days but he did play Fu Manchu uh he played Sherlock Holmes played Sherlock Holmes's brother Mycroft Holmes obviously more recently recent fans or n- younger fans I guess will know him for playing Count Dooku in in the prequels in um, episode two and three of Star Wars and also um for playing Saruman both in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and most recently and pretty much the last thing he did I guess um in The Hobbit I, I think he's done over 250 movies uh so I think he might even be in the Ginsburg Records as having been in more films than any other actor I mean he's done a staggering amount of work he was clearly a workaholic, not just an actor though, of course, he fought in World War II uh, as part of the Secret Service. Um, so, um, so, I mean, I think he was, when he was asked about it, he'd always go like, can you keep a secret? And then people say, yes, well, so can I, and we'll never talk about what he did in World War II, but I think that was just him being um, being Christopher Lee, really. Uh, he also uh, was a good singer, uh, liked opera, and um, released a metal album. Uh, two metal ago. albums. Two metal albums, sorry, two metal albums. Um, so yeah, a, a bit of a Renaissance man. Spoke multiple languages. Um, yeah, was a real world real class character. fencer, world class golfer. He was yep. related um, to the Emperor Charlemagne. And yes, General, General and also Lee. cousin of. He was also cousin of um, Ian Fleming as well. He was Ian Fleming's cousin. Um, <laughs> so a bit of a character all around, really. Um, I think some often he'll be described as a tireless raconteur, but in fact, I think that's probably been like an insufferable bore that's at times. That's quite a body of work, isn't it? Not only just as an actor, but what everything else that he did as well. It's like you know, yeah. I think he needed the ninety-three years just to fit it all in, didn't he? Well, my favourite one is that he only stopped doing his own stunts at eighty-nine, <laughs> and he was a member of all three stuntman unions. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I, think he, I think he died of exhaustion in the end. <laughs> well, I was honestly hoping that amongst all the other talents we've just listed, that he'd actually just cracked immortality and forgotten to tell everyone. But <laughs> sadly, he's also, it uh, but it's also great. Uh, as uh, Was he Richelieu in... Um, no, um, no. Who did, he, who did he play in Three Musketeers? He was great in that. And he said he had to fence, obviously, with an eye patch, which is quite difficult to judge distance when you've only got one eye and no stereo vision. Um uh, I remember hearing him talk about doing the Three Musketeers and moaning about the fact that they were obviously paid to make the Three Musketeers and the film that they produced was four hours long. So the Salkinds cut it in half and released the Three Musketeers and then the Four Musketeers. And after that, every single actress contract now has a Salkind clause which says they're making one film and one film only, or at least is establishing how many films they are being paid for. One of the amusing things that I read on Twitter as well, I think it may have been Ricky Gervais, is that they're going to hold his, his funeral has to be held at midnight so he can attend. <laughs> After sundown, presumably. Yeah, a friend of mine actually met him because uh, he was um, a friend of mine's dad was a publisher. And he was publishing a book about <laughs> opera, and my friend told his dad, "Oh, you should get Christopher Lee along because he's a big opera fan." And he did turn up for this launch. And my friend, who was a massive Hammer fan, went went along to launch just so he could see Christopher Lee. And he went to Christopher Lee and said, "Oh, you know, I really love all your horror films." And Christopher Lee apparently said, "I never made horror films. I made cinema fantastique." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, the, you you can literally do an entire podcast of anecdotes. When he uh, met his wife, um, his father-in-law to be was sufficiently unimpressed by Lee that he put in the rider that he would only offer his daughter's hand in marriage if he got the approval of the King of Sweden, which <laughs> Lee went ahead and got. <laughs> it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, for, for every great Christopher Lee film, there are about 25 immensely forgettable ones. But it's there's just it's fundamentally a, a breadth of activity and talent spanning such a long period of time that um, I, I don't know how many more people like that are left. In I don't truth. think many actors have a, a, a career renaissance in their 80s, though, do they, the way that he did? I mean, suddenly no. coming back with Tim Burton, who was a massive fan, put him in quite a few of his movies in his latter years, and obviously then doing Star Wars, you know, being in two of the biggest franchises of the last two decades. Um, in your 80s and late 80s at that in some cases. Oh, he's the highest grossing actor. Of, he was he was comfortably the highest grossing actor of all time, even before the Hobbit trilogy is calculated in. And and by a factor of two over the next in line, which is Harrison Ford. Although Harrison Ford, you know, he's got a bit of time on his hands. Yeah, and, and a couple more back. films coming out. <laughs> so we'll see how we get on. All to play for. <laughs> okay, Mark, why don't you tell us about the current competitions? Or, or, or don't. <laughs> I just lost my sound for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's right. not in your contract or anything, but you know. Right. Okay. Yeah. We have currently running. We've got the Blu-ray for Black Swan, which is a ballet movie. Is that right? Uh, a ballet um, movie. Well, I'm, just, I'm only going to say one sentence here. I'm just going to say Mila Kunis and. Um, What's the face? Natalie Portman. Portman, thank you. Uh, lesbian sexy. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, I'll be um, okay. that. Worth one. it for that, by the sounds of it. Uh, <laughs> that a one. lesbian ballet movie. In you get. <laughs> uh, that was running until the 30th of June. And then we've got the Yamaha RX S600D AV receiver, which is worth 500 not quid uh, and well worth winning. And that's also running until the 30th of June. And that is it. No previous competition winners? No previous competition winners. Well, there's a competition that ends tomorrow, so there will be one next week. But uh, Right. Well, yeah. we'll wait till next week then and find out. Because <laughs> we can't see into the future. <laughs> is that for the Dark Crystal? Yes. Okay, so let's move on to hardware news. Now, this is nda at the moment, but um, the NDA finishes before this goes live, so we can talk about it. Uh, Steve, Yamaha announced uh, the new AVR receiver lineup. Yeah, it's almost a professional segue there, wasn't there, Phil, from the prize, the Yamaha receiver. Oh, I, I, com- I completely ignored it. I, I know, you should have gone for that. Eh? No, 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 no. Sometimes, you know, the art is not to do the obvious. <laughs> yes, yeah, so expect if you're the unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, they've, got, they've announced their new lineup. Um, and perhaps not unsurprisingly, or rather unsurprisingly, um, DTSX uh, features predominant, dominantly on this new lineup, uh, as does Dolby Atmos, of course. <laughs> you know, so- DTSX better be bloody good after all this. Well, after all the hype that's gone on, yeah. you know, and we're still waiting on the receiver line, it better it better perform. <laughs> it's going to be, isn't it? At the end of the day, <laughs> sounds like Dolby Atmos to me. Uh, right. So they've got um, the top of the line re- is going to be the RX A thirty fifty, replacing the RX A thirty forty that Ed reviewed. Um, I believe what was last year was it? Yeah, last year. Yes, it was absolutely brand that, spanking new. Mm, that's going to be one thousand nine hundred, no, well, two grand, less five p. Um, and that's obviously going to include Dolby Atmos, DTSX, and also, of course, things like um, HDMI 2.0 and HDCP 2.2, uh, built-in Wi-Fi, built-in uh, Bluetooth. So, uh, you know, a very comprehensive receiver pretty much puts it a smack bang in line with um, what we're seeing from Denon and Marantz last week. 
We've also got the RX A2050, which uh, I reviewed the 2040 last year. A very good receiver indeed. Uh, and that's, again, um, same kind of um, features, uh, basically uh, Dolby Atmos and DTSX and uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and HDCP 2.2 and HDMI 2.0. Um, the, obviously, the difference between the two really is in terms of the power that they have. Um, that's going to be £1,499.95p. And then there's the RX A1050. Uh, that's replacing the 1040. And did you review it? You're reviewing that, aren't you, Phil? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> it, it, I'm, 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 rev- I'm reviewing it with a look to see if it's worth picking up end of line. <laughs> you better hurry up. Yeah. Uh, but that's, um, that also includes... Now, that's interesting because the 1040 that you've got does not support Dolby Atmos, does it? Uh, no, it doesn't. But this new one, the 1050, will support both Atmos, Dolby Atmos and DTSX. So that's that line's getting a bit of a boost, I think. Uh, and again, it's just under a thousand pounds, nine 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 point nine five. Then we've got the RX A eight fifty. This um, this is nine hundred quid. So there's only a hundred pound difference between this and the eight uh, ten ten fifty. But doesn't have DTSX. Only got Dolby Atmos apparently. And um, just filling up the lineup, there's an RX A. 550, which is um, £549.95p. That will not include either Dolby Atmos or DTSX. In terms of other features in their receivers this year, they're going to have support of um, 5.6 megahertz DSD, 192 24-bit FLAC, WAV, ALAC, and AIFF, and also MP3 and WMA. So, I mean, I mean, based upon last year's models, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing these because they were very, very good receivers last year, and I expect them to be as good this year. And also, I think... With things like Atmos and DTSX, because Yamaha have been doing things like height, what they call present speakers, for two decades, they've got a lot of experience in this kind of thing. So I expect them to be able to implement it extremely effectively. And people have got a lot of experience of buying Yamaha products with those and not bothering with the extra Well, it's true. I mean, there was no point up to now because suppose nothing was mixed with height speakers. But, um, you know, if any company can get it right, I'm sure that Yamaha can because they've got backlogs of experience in it. Sounded damn good last year on their 2040, I'd say. Both of you are actually heading off to their launch event, but we can't say anything about that because it's NDA'd. No, and and neither will we be able to say anything when we get back. I'm going to go on record and state this is one of the most ambitious NDAs I have ever seen. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Withers and I have a sportsman's bet on how long it's going to last. I stress that neither of us have the slightest intention of being the people that break it, but nonetheless, it's a lot of people to make it stick. I want to get in on this, so we'll just uh, turn the mics off just a sec. Well, let's put it this way. We're talking about a Europe-wide press... Press, um, with several airports. hundred people attending all over Europe plus all their dealers if they really think they're all going to keep their mouths shut for two months <laughs> I'll eat my hat mind you I had an NDA to sign the other day I can't even say who it was for um, and it specifically said you say anything you pay us 10,000 euros and it's the first time I've ever seen that in an NDA I'd love That'll to work. if you'd won the Euro Millions just gone yeah here we go I'm on Twitter <laughs> now your check's in the post <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, I think we're getting well sidetracked now. Uh, let's go to Mark. Mark, uh, some news coming through uh, the Korean press about LG uh, and their production yields for OLED. Yeah, good news. Well, hopefully. But obviously, this is an area where everyone's struggled and, and probably the reason why no one else but LG is bothering with OLED. Um, but they, uh, it's believed, this isn't, it's no official announcement, but as you say, come through the Korean press, that uh, they've increased OLED yields up to 65% for the panels, which... I know this is the uh, Ultra HD panels. Um, they've actually got it higher with the Full HD, but no one's interested in that, unfortunately. Um, 
so yeah, the up to sixty five percent. The modules they're also improving the the uh, production processes around them. Um, cause that's that's currently been a problem as well. Um, they're aiming by the end of the year to get up to up to eighty seven percent with the four K seventy seven inch panel, um, which would be pretty impressive. So obviously the hope is that it's going to drive prices down uh, in the shortish term. I'm a bit dubious on 87% of the 77-inch panel because most, they only make about 10 of those, don't they? <laughs> so, so they will need to get 87 out of 100 and then they'll be all right. <laughs> that's all make. And that's for the year. That's for the year. No, but yeah, I will. I'm a, you know, I'm slightly dubious that, that those numbers weren't the other way around and it wasn't 75% for the 77-inch. And I don't know whether that's just backward reporting by that. It, it might be easier to make the, maybe, I don't know, with a larger screen, the pixels are, the pixels are, uh, <laughs> large, are larger. <laughs> So <laughs> you didn't give me a chance to say it. <laughs> uh, and also, um, they're apparently investigating an inkjet uh, method of uh, production, a la Panasonic, from a couple of years ago, who gave up. Um, so that that is supposed to be even more reliable. So you know, it's it's kind of looking good. It, it makes complete sense that the the larger sizes would do better because. You're trying to fit more and more into a smaller, smaller space as you go down yeah, in size. That's, that's my assumption. That's currently not how it works, though. Really? The numbers are worse. Yeah, they're worse on the um, bigger panels than the smaller ones at the minute. Well, well it maybe that there's something else about either the finish on the front of it, the dimpling that people have reported, or something like that. Maybe that's more of an issue that on maybe, a, a greater stress surface. Maybe the old heads are just dying. I mean, you know, they're living compound. Yeah, well, compound. we all die as to those screens, <laughs> but you know. all things must pass. Thanks for that, Steve. That's dead cheery. <laughs> Good album. <laughs> uh, right, so staying with LG, but we're going to move to uh, 4K TV this time, Ultra HD, not the flagship because we've already reviewed that one. Uh, this is the 850, so a little bit further down the product line, Steve. Yeah, it's um, it sits below the uh, UF950 that we've already reviewed. This is the UF850. Uh, essentially, though, from what I can tell from testing, it's it's basically the same TV. The big difference between this one and the, and the flagship model is it hasn't got the ultra-slim uh, panel, which I think, frankly, is a good thing. Because um, with the UF950, the problem was because it was so uh, slim, the only place they could put any LEDs was actually on the bottom. So you ended up with uh, these sort of columns of light sometimes, depending on what the content was. But because the, all the lights were at the bottom of the screen, there were none at the sides or at the top. This is just a traditional um, you know, LED lit panel. So you've got a, a much more uh, a uniform uh, backlight. And uh, you, don't kind of, you don't have any problems with columns of light that you're getting from the uh, UF950. Um, there's a little bit of uh, banding on, on when I was watching the football yesterday. Uh, as a camera panned backwards and forwards, there was some banding in the image. I'm impressed uh, but, you stayed awake. Uh, well, I, I turned off after the first <laughs> after the first goal went, and I thought, oh, "Typical." The second off. half was quite good. Oh, I know. I didn't watch the second half. Yeah, so um, I think the, the, the sort of deeper, thicker panel um, and chassis really helps in terms of uniformity and overall performance. So, although this is the lower model than the UF nine fifty, I think in many respects, uh, since it basically seems to have exactly the same features, I would prefer that. It's you know, it's a fairly traditional design. It's nothing too flashy about it, but it's it's well made. It has a nice stand. Color management system and the uh, white balance controls will work very well. You can get a pretty accurate picture. So they actually work. I, I yeah, don't they mean, do. Uh, I don't mean this to sound work. disrespectful there, but LG have, are renowned for their stuff not working. Their stuff used to work very well, and then for about two years, they they've had real problems. <laughs> real problems with it. Yeah, if it ain't broke, break it. Uh, <laughs> they broke it. And uh, 
I think it, it sort of started going a bit tits up for them when they introduced, um, you know, they used to just be uh, luminance slash contrast, um, saturation and then tint as two controls. Then they introduced three controls. So they had you know, saturation and, and luminance and tint. And then it didn't really work, basically. It seems like they finally sorted that out because the controls work quite well now and you do get a very accurate... It did, um, get, it did get a little bit Sony-esque in terms of it was almost like it ran out of processing power and started <laughs> adding artifacting because that was a big thing with Sony yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, like the objectors with their RCP controls. Yeah, that's actually a good analogy. The only area where it's—I mean—it's out of the box accuracy, as with a lot of TVs this year, pretty good, accurate, very accurate, well, pretty much reference level after calibration. Although tracking the um, saturation measurements, so twenty-five and fifty and seventy-five percent, not so good, very unsaturated in all the primaries, um, which means the picture doesn't have it's quite as much punch as it might have. Although I, I would generally take undersaturated to oversaturated personally, but. Uh, that, that's the only area where it falls down in terms of its color performance. Otherwise, they're very good. Um, processing excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good, solid, well-made TV. And given that it's cheaper than the UF915 and it has a better backlight to uniformity, I think it would be my preferable choice of the two. But would it be your choice of the year? No. Uh, well, I mean, obviously the year's not over yet, so uh, who knows what we might see. I haven't seen this CX, CX802 uh, that Mark was talking about last week, which sounds will. extremely impressive. But you will, Steve. You'll get to see Yeah, it. I will. And I've got to say, looking at Mark's review, uh, some spectacular uh, colour performance on that TV. That's just show enough there, that is, not it? Yeah, it was, it was really impressive. But, but, then, um, but then, you know, their expertise is phosphors, plasma yeah. all day, and that's what they're using for the colour. Yeah. Mm. Um, it shows. Yeah, shows up. Totally. I mean, but, yeah, uh, all that stuff about them, you know, using the Panasonic plasma engineers actually seems to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we thought we were the old Just thought it was a hot item. Like the old pioneer engineers. They, they did exist, by the way, because I, <laughs> I met a few of them. They did exist. Anyway, the UF850, uh, obviously, it's also got WebOS 2.0. Um, uh, what else has it got? Um, oh, like local dimming, local dimming um, works very well, I have to say. Um, it's Ultra HD. It's got. Um, uh, now TV and Netflix and Amazon Prime, so it's got and BBC iPlayer, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's a good solid, uh, good solid TV. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not, it doesn't it doesn't support certain things, so it's not HDR compatible. Although it can go really bright, so maybe there could be an update later. Um, there is definitely going to be one for their OLED TVs, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it uses an IPS panel, so you've got a nice wide viewing angle. Obviously, you don't get the really good blacks you get with uh, with the VA panel, but uh, I guess it depends on what you want it for. Really, if you're going to be sitting it, you're going to be sitting a distance away from the TV, and with a maybe you've got a large family and they're going to be watching it from different angles, it might be preferable to to a TV that uses a VA panel. Certainly, with the local dimming engaged, the black levels are very good. So, how much? Uh, oh, that's a good question, actually. And what's what's the contrast? A million like? dollars. Steve, what's the dynamic range and contrast like being an IPS? It's normally the Achilles heel. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's um, it's on off is uh, one thousand to one, and it's ANSI is five hundred to one. So it's not it's not a great. Uh, like it's I said, things, TV. <laughs> things get a lot better with local dimming engaged. I, I think really, you know, you, you have to accept the fact that it's an IPS panel. You're never going to get the blacks. You're going to get a VA panel. But then, having said that, um, if you get the wider viewing angles, it might be preferable. It depends on what you want the TV for and where you're going to be sitting. If you're sat right in front of it, then you may, maybe you're better off going for a VA panel because I mean, certainly the Samsungs have. Really good blacks, although not as good as a panny, has to be said, but very narrow viewing angles. So, yeah, and the price was? I'm, I'm just you know, 2349 quid for the 65 inch model that I've currently got in for review, which is not bad, actually. 
Uh, right, so moving on from uh, TVs, let's go to audio because we have something audio-wise to talk about uh, this week. It was uh, Apple's conference, developer conference uh, last week. Apple Music was announced finally. We, we kind of knew it was coming, Ed. So tell us all about Apple Music and whether you think it will work or not. Right, okay, let's do these things. That's a game of two halves, Brian. So first half, what is it? Uh, the answer is it is an on-demand streaming service. Um, and at first glance, and in no way, shape or form, a revolutionary on-demand streaming service. Uh, it is going to stream as best as we can work out at the same uh, rate that uh, the iTunes store works at. There's no change to the compression that they're using there. Um, it is uh, 10 bucks, 10 euros or 10 pounds a month, meaning that once again, it's comfortably the poorest value going um, in uh, in the UK. Uh, like, but although that said, that's no different to any other streaming service. We'd just get shafted on all of them. Um, the only bit which is of any moderate note in terms of difference to uh, and so the, the, the basic competitors, the Spotify's, the Napster's, the RDO's of this world, is that Apple is simultaneously launching a service called Apple Connect, which is, if you like, a specific sort of social media section that artists will be able to use to promote their their material, their albums, their, their their upcoming concert dates, so on and so forth, to, to, to give them a, a, a direct point of contact to, to you, the listener, if this, of course, is the service that you choose to use. Don't Tidal do that already? Um, they Tidal don't fence it off as a separate part. It's right. part of the front end of Tidal. So uh, with, at the moment, we're all sort of working out what's going on um, but apple seems to suggest it's 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 separated now this made no sense to me at all um until i essentially whether it's going to be a success or not the jury is very much out on this um there is a lot of negativity around it um people are saying without with, with some justification i think it's fair to say that it is one of the most technologically uninspired releases and announcements from apple well since the turn of the century i suppose it is that there is very little that you would describe as remotely revolutionary about um the process at all it, it, it there is no innovation here uh that being said um away from the music and the sort of technical side of the of the uh, of, of, of articles and comments from a business perspective um there is more positivity the first is it is apple um this is inevitably going to auto install on all of your iDevices. devices um it will be present and and probably the most convenient of, of all of the services in that regard so that is a significant installed user base now, the other bit is more, if you will, um, it, it's open to discussion because we don't know how this is going to work. But the suggestion is that um, the connect part of this could be used by artists to introduce material which can be listened to for free, either as a video or however you like, um, on, on connect. And if, they, if people get a taste for it, then they can go go behind the paywall which would potentially suggest that connect as a as an access point might not be something that you that you have to pay the 10 bucks a month for but again that's not 
not sort of confirmed or denied as yet. And if artists can be prepared to use, persuaded to use Connect and this installed user base comes on board and the biggest if of the lot, um, Apple's rather cynical but I suppose necessary um, sort of legal pressure to try and end free streams on Spotify uh, has any effect, then m- maybe... Um, they they can they can make a success of it but i mean from a personal level i just find it's utterly uninspired it's not that there's no proposition here that that makes me want to chuck in any existing subscriptions well, i might I, have i think you've touched on it here but i mean for that type of thing you got spotify already yes um and if you want the higher quality then there are, there's at least two services that i know of, of tidal yeah. and and what's the other one q something cobas cobas yeah. that's the one um, so if you want high res, you, that's that's taken care of. And I've got to say, Tidal, um, I can't fault it. I think it's superb service, mm. and I've been dipping into it far more than I ever did with Spotify, um, and playing it a lot louder. Yeah, I mean the did. other thing is that all of these other services don't have any loyalty to a given platform. I mean Spotify in particular crops up on everything. Now Apple obviously have got AirPlay as a as a dis, uh, as a sort of broadcast method to, to work with more third-party equipment but i just don't think they're going to be able to touch the ubiquity of spotify and they are you know it would be it, either way you look at it it's either commercial suicide to make the stuff work as well on other platforms which they say they are going to support but by the same token you can't then match the band the breadth of what other people are brought uh, working on if you just favor ios and osx as your platform so i don't see how they're going to square that circle I'm, I'm sure that they you know they're apple they don't generally screw things up so i'm sure that they've got it worked out but it strikes me that it's always going to be an unhappier balance than just someone that does software i, th- I think they're allowed to fail aren't they no this minute. is true um and there is a sense that i think this is as much driven by compulsion because itunes revenues are down and they have to be in this than a desire to reshape the world with it um and and the other thing is that it just just looking at how looking at the lack of real sort of surprise and delight in it it does kind of strengthen the increasing belief that apple is a hardware producer uh, and the software is a means to an end. It has to be excellent, but it's generally something which is free and facilitates the operation of their existing equipment. Whereas you see, you see, Apple have always done that really well. I mean, I love my Mac and I love my iPhone because, you know, they just work. I'd, I've never had an issue with them um, because the ecosystem works and um, because it's, you know, it's it's not pushing the boundaries and you're not, you know, if you go and buy a custom PC there's always something that's going to go wrong with it because you'll expect the latest and greatest with drivers that maybe aren't the greatest and all the rest. You don't get any of that with Apple because of the ecosystem. So in those instances uh, and with the iPhone, it really works because it's an enclosed infrastructure. But like you say, they're they're trying to bring this to market and a big wide market at that. They have the Apple name, but do they have anything else over and above and what you're saying there, it appears that they don't. There's nothing automatically... credit cards on file. (laughs) <laughs> there is yes, there is a sense that if you've bought so it, it it will just um you know it'll just segue on from iTunes. But by the same token, I'm not alone in finding iTunes one of the most appalling pieces of software put out by Com- any. I completely I agree with that. I, um, I and so them. Apple's immediate legacy in this this specific category isn't that hot. So um, yeah, I I don't know. 
it's going to be a very interesting one. It It's a very awkward situation for any manufacturer where the success, it does in part seem to depend quite heavily on whether they can close down another manufacturer doing something in a different way. Right. And before we leave Apple, um, I had a, a letter through from my bank saying that they're going to support Apple Pay. Is it something that you guys would go for? If your banks are going to do it and you've got an Apple device, is Apple, you know, for any you've got a contactless debit card, I, I, don't, I don't see what Apple Pay does over and above that. Uh, I'm a bit lost on it as well. I have to say, I am an enormous fan of contactless, um, although it's oh, yeah. a fairly Love dangerous it. thing to have in the in the pub. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just enough to cover a round of drinks, and it just now as you don't have to remember your pin number, you can get one or two more rounds of drinks in <laughs> than was probably a good idea. But um, that's by the by. My my slow descent into alcoholism was nobody else's problem. I I, I don't know. People seem to get very excited about it. And I will say there are certain areas where I don't, I mean, obviously, I don't, none of you are particularly big tube users, but in theory now, I don't need to have an Oyster card for the tube. I can tap my contactless debit card and use that to, to travel through the barriers. Uh, but I don't trust I it. I didn't know you could do that. That's good. Um, I don't trust it. Not least because if I tap my wallet on the, the, um, the, the the reader without going into unnecessary detail there's two contactless cards in there is it and which one is it going to i'm going to have to remove the card so it's not going to be any faster so something like that where maybe there's i slightly more control over which account it's going to read and things like that yeah but ed, maybe that's something i'd have a have a look at but but ed mm. you know a lot of us just have one bank account you know um, we, we're not multi-millionaires that can afford two bank accounts but I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not a multi. I've got my my personal account, my business account, and the joint account with my wife. All of which have got very little money, and it's just spread three ways rather than one. What can I say? Um, I I don't know. I people are a lot more excited online about Apple Pay than they are about Apple Music. I will say that. So, but, which knows? is one one of the reasons I brought it up. But I still don't understand it. Do you, Mark? No, not really. Um, I, I, I like that example that I gave of um, getting through the tube like that. And so it's going to have some use. Um, and as I'm getting older, actually, I forgot my pin number didn't I, the other week. So it might be quite useful <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you had a funny turn, didn't you? I had you? a funny turn in Tesco, yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot my pin number. So, yeah, I guess it might be quite useful if I could just get my phone out and pay. Not that I'd buy an iPhone. <laughs> I don't know. I was worried about how secure all this all is and how open to abuse. Well, it obviously isn't very secure at the minute, is it? If, if the government uh, gets like, I think, 20, I think 30 the, pounds. I think it. the maximum is 20 quid. Yeah. I think that's perfectly fair, though. That's as much to protect ourselves from ourselves. Or <laughs> we'll protect you from yourself. More than well, I'm, I'm sure that there are other people with the same lingering issues that I have. But yes, I, I do agree. Samsung doing it as well, aren't they? Samsung Pay. It does strike me as possibly lacking the breadth of support that, that, that the other... Must have taken them a long time to come up with that title, mustn't it? <laughs> what should we call it? Um, Samsung Pay? Yeah, that'll do. Uh, right, so uh, we've exhausted that subject. Like We've exhausted everything else under hardware, so it's time to move on to games and somebody's going to have to do an impression here. Hey, what? Uh, what? Uh? You need to be eating a sandwich whilst you say yeah, that. Yeah. Right, so we move on to games news. Uh, Mr. Botwright's not here, but um, Steve is going to step into the role of Mark Botwright. So uh, tell us what's happening games-wise. What? Uh? Oh, uh, right, games news. Um, well, the reason that Mark isn't here is quite simply because he's too busy preparing for E3, which kicks off tonight. And the games team are looking to provide us with coverage all through the week. And then after everything's been announced, they're going to do their post-E3 uh, podcast, which is why the podcast this month 
is presumably a little bit late. Should have been out. It's, been, it's right? been late every month this year. Yeah. All right. It's going to be really late though this week, this month, isn't it? Uh, um, yes. They're, they're going to do the podcast after E3 rather than before, which I think is what they did last year. Um, so it'll actually be a bit more useful because they can comment on why it was announced rather than guessing. What my... <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the, that's why he's not on the podcast today. He's, they're all busy preparing for E3. Uh, which they'll be covering all week, and then doing a podcast with a roundup of what they thought of it and what was announced. There is also on the site right now um, their, their sort of a roundtable discussion of what they think is going to come out this week at E3, so you can read that and see how close they got. Of course, by the time this podcast goes out, E3 will be happening, and there should be plenty of stuff on the front page. Yes, hopefully by then there'll be lots of coverage. Okay, uh, so is that games news? That's games news. You can get back to Magnum PI now. <laughs> and eating. Right, we move on. Movie news. 22 years, Steve. And it's back at the cinema. So what am I talking I about? Christ, 22 years. I'm, sometimes I feel bloody old. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, sometimes <laughs> I feel bloody old. But when we get back to another subject later on in this podcast, I'm going to feel a lot older. Yeah. But 22 yeah. years, I can remember being in Leicester Square to see Jurassic Park. And obviously this weekend, Jurassic World opened. How many times did you see Jurassic Park at the cinema? At the cinema, only the once, actually. Oh, I went... Seven times, and I even, and and I bought the UCI baseball cap with their logo on it as well. Well, you were younger than me, so maybe it was a bit more exciting. For you, but I mean, it was still the thing is, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, Jurassic World. I'll, I'll start off by saying it's great fun. I really enjoyed it, but you know, you'll never ever with any film, I think, ever again, possibly, going to get the same impact and um, sense of you know wonder that we got going to see Jurassic Park because that was a groundbreaking film. I mean, in '93. We'd never seen. I mean, obviously, if you look, watch it now, you realise that they used animatronics a lot, and they delib- and they deliberately and quite wisely, sparingly used CGI. But having said that, when we saw it in the cinema, I was thinking the same thing the characters say when they're being shown the part for the first time. How did you do that? Uh, you know, it was it was groundbreaking at the time. It, it really had an impact. I doubt we'll ever get that again. Because you know nowadays, you know, and, and they actually mentioned it in Jurassic World. Enough, they're talking about making new dinosaurs because you know people just want more and more and bigger and louder and more teeth, and that kind of describes how cinema's gone over the last 22 years. So it, it's never going to have that kind of appeal, but it was extremely good fun. Um, it's uh, it, the, the effects are very good. The story's interesting. The, the characters are uh, interesting enough. I mean, you kind of miss the classic characters from the original films, but um, the new ones are okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it entertains you. And basically, at the end of the day, that's all you really want, right? You want to be entertained for two hours. And it did that. And it did that well. It was exciting. It was funny. Uh, you know, there were scary bits. Uh, the dinosaurs are really well done. And um, obviously, I, anyone who wants to know what the plot is, you know, the, the world, Jurassic World is the proper park, fully open that John Hammond was envisioning in the original Jurassic Park. Uh, and because the tennis is dropping, they've basically genetically engineered new dinosaurs by mixing certain things together, creating the Indomitus, Indomitus Rex. Um, which then breaks free and then goes on the rampage. So um, that's the basic premise. And then after that, it's just basically run away, scream and shoot at it and try and kill it. And yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, I recommend it thoroughly. And in, um, over the weekend, it surpassed even the most uh, you know, optimistic predictions for its performance at the box office. It I made over 203 million at the US box office, means it's second just behind the Avengers with the biggest opening weekend ever. 500 million second, worldwide, isn't it? Yeah, I was about to say, second biggest opening world outside the US after Harry Potter and the and the um, and Deathly Hallows Part 2. But combine the two, single biggest opening worldwide ever for any film with 504 million, I think it was. Because I couldn't get in to see it at the weekend, completely sold out. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm unbelievable. Half a billion dollars in the weekend. Um, I, I was um, gobsmacked. I mean, I thought it would do okay. I never, ever for a second thought it would do that well. It has been a huge, huge hit. Uh, and I should imagine it will probably continue to do well because I think it'll get good word of mouth. Um, Kaz reviewed it for us on the on the forums uh, towards the end of last week. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I think 7 out of 10 is about right. Uh, it's it's a fun movie, enjoyable, um, not as good as the original, not, not, not as groundbreaking or as, as good as Jurassic Park, but certainly way better than Lost World and um, Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> but Jurassic Park, the original one, I mean, that's the, that's for me, that's my boundary point between films I classify as old and then everything after that point is, <laughs> is well, I mean, obviously 22 years, it's all relative, but it is nonetheless, I don't know, it's it's the first film that looked and, and still holds up, judged broadly speaking, under the conditions of modern film. God, I wish I was in your world, Ed. We'll come back to this whole age thing in, in blockbusters. Because <laughs> something happened at the weekend that, that my heart sank so fast. Uh, it was embarrassing. Anyway, uh, films come out this Friday, Steve. This Friday we have Entourage, which is the film version of the HBO TV series. Um, uh, which anyone's seen it, basically it's about uh, a film star and his entourage of friends and their experiences and adventures in Hollywood. Um, I've, I used to watch, I watched the TV, I watched, I think there were five seasons and I actually did watch all five seasons and I used to really enjoy it. The first three seasons were great. They were kind of like an inside view of Hollywood and you had all the agents um, and you had the head studio heads and various stars like James Cameron popped up in a few episodes because at one point the, 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 the star within the series is making Aquaman for James Cameron. Kind of like, it was full of in-jokes and it was really funny and it was it, I enjoyed it. Fourth season, he got he developed a coke habit and got a porn, porn star, um, Sasha Gray, as a girlfriend and it all kind of went a bit downhill and then the fifth season was absolutely appalling and it just jumped the shark terribly. Um, so uh, unfortunately, um, I have no real interest in seeing the film and having read the reviews that have come out previous release because it opened this weekend in the States and presumably got murdered by Jurassic World. Um, you know, it sounds like it's just more of the same. Uh, this time, Vince, the actor, wants to direct and not just star in a film. Um, you know, it's it, it was a show that started well and ended badly. Um, and um, I, I think it also suffers on the fact that the, the actor playing the star has absolutely no charisma at all. And therefore, you wouldn't buy him as ever being a big star. Although, um, Jerry Fivin plays Ari Gold, who's the agent, well, was the agent in the TV series, and now is heading up a studio. And he's, he's actually quite funny in it. But uh, otherwise, I think it's, it's lost its edge. Also, we got... Uh, Mr. Holmes, which stars um, Ian McKellen as an ageing Sherlock Holmes who's retired on the South Coast. He gets involved in one final case, um, which uh, sounds interesting, if nothing else. Looks interesting in the trailers. I might be up for that. And also there's... Um... <laughs> Accidental Love. Yes, thank you. Accidental Love. A film that got shelved for quite some time and was just owned by its director, which I think was David O. Russell. So uh, I'm not that expecting much positive. there. <laughs> yeah. What could possibly go wrong? For some reason, that's the one yeah. I always want to see. So, so I, I, I guess what we're saying is this Friday, go see Jurassic World. Well, yeah, I, I think what's happened is, yeah, there was nothing out the week before Jurassic World and there's not much out the week after. Basically, everyone's giving it a really wide berth, which is good news for Universal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, quickly, Blu-rays. Um, this week and next week, what are we looking forward to? We've got uh, Take Taken 3. Actually, Taken 3 came out, uh, comes out this week, but I forgot to mention it last week, uh, which Kaz is reviewing. Um, I'm not looking forward to that, to be honest. Uh, it's, um, you know, it was, uh, I enjoy Taken immensely. I haven't seen Taken 2 or Taken 3 because, um, um, well, frankly, it didn't appeal and it got terrible reviews, even from Kaz, and he likes that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, 
I'm not in the, in the, in the queuing up to get that particular one. Um, what else have we got coming out? Because I can't see my um, email right now. 50, 50 Shades of Grey. Oh, Christ, yeah. Yay. 50 Shades of Grey, um, which I did see at the cinema, unfortunately. Uh, all I can say is, you know, unless unless you're being forced to at gunpoint, don't bother watching this. I'd, I'd rather sit and look at Fifty Shades of Grey scale. <laughs> um, rather worryingly, isn't there a new book out this time from the, the guy's perspective? Which I like to talk about flogging a dead horse. Um, well, then there's yeah. usually it a lot of flogging. Up, there was some <laughs> <flogging>. <laughs> but no, yeah, there was, if there had been some flogging in the film, that would have been a good start for a film that's supposed to be about, uh, about, you know, S&M. There was very little of that in it. Uh, yeah, it's a dreadful, dreadful film. Um, it's an awful story, an awful book. Just give it a wide berth. The other film is out this week, uh, which I do recommend. I did enjoy. Uh, I have seen it. It's Black Hat, which is directed by uh, Michael Mann and stars Chris Hemsworth as a hacker um, who gets involved in a, um, basically a, a, a plot where a, a guy is basically um, hacking into various systems. And um, it's sort of a globe-trotting thriller with stuff in the US and in Europe and in, uh, in particularly in the Far East and in China. Uh, and I did enjoy that actually. It's um, I think it's got a slightly weak ending, but uh, on the whole, it was good fun. Although I really wished Michael Mann wouldn't shoot. Well, he shoots digitally, but he shoots in a way that it looks really digital. You know, you can shoot digitally like um, David Fincher and still look film-like, but his stuff looks like video, and it just ruins the cinematic effect for me. Yeah, what was the one that really stood out for me? A lot of Public video- enemies. Uh, no, it wasn't on that one. Oh, uh, collateral. Oh Christ! It's completely gone out of my head. Miami Vice. Ah, oh, Miami Vice. That's what I said. I was white Ferrari, white Ferrari. <laughs> uh, yeah, Miami Vice, the the remake of that. Shows uh, some really dark exterior shots and grainy as hell, but but digital noise, not film grain noise. Look really bad. Yeah, he does that again in this. Um, he seems to like it. I think it's this. It's a stylistic choice in his part, but I think it's the wrong one. I would much rather see. Uh, See that see them either shoot you know on film. I, I think the reason he was using digital, particularly on things like Manu Vice, was so he could shoot in lower light levels at night. But even so, yeah, whatever he shot on wasn't very good in lower low light levels. Yeah. Yeah, no. the exposure wasn't good at all. Lots yeah. of noise in the blacks. But I did enjoy the film Black Hat. But yeah, I really got pissed off watching the uh, with the um, digital look of the film. Really right. put me off. Right. Okay. Uh, Saturday's a big day because uh, it's Mark's mm. birthday, uh, the twentieth of June. Somebody else's birthday. And I can't remember who. John Taylor out of John Duran. Is it? All right, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Somebody else? And me. Yeah. A bit strange is both reviewers' birthdays on the same day. Uh, something dodgy going on there. Anyway, um, happy birthday for when it comes. Uh, but also, on that day, it's 40 years exactly since Jaws opened at the cinema. And, you know, it's a well-trodden path now that we all know that it's, it, it's highlighted as the first summer blockbuster but even still, uh, I had the Blu-ray delivered. When when did it come out? Was it two years ago now? Maybe eighteen yeah. months ago to two years ago. And it doesn't matter if it's on the TV, if I'm watching it on Blu-ray, whatever. Uh, as soon as I get into that film, that is me. I will sit and watch it to the end. I cannot switch it off. It just holds my attention. It's in my top three of all-time films. But why? You know, it, it's there's something about the film. I don't know who else here likes. It. I mean, Ed, I've got a funny film. You haven't seen it. Still not got around to watching it. <laughs> That's shocking. Absolutely, I'm shocked. Even I've seen this. You know, that, it just reminds me of something that happened at the weekend, right? So I'm going to cut, you know, long story short, I went for a test drive at the weekend. It was an open day. It was a launch of a, of a new car. So I went to test drive it because I'm an existing customer. So I knew I'd get in and I'd get a shot of it. And I really wanted to have a go. So I'm sitting speaking to this sales assistant before, 
before getting in the car because the guy that's going to take me on the test drive is busy. Some, she's 22, trainee, and we're sitting talking and going on uh, about living in Newcastle. And I, and I happened to mention that when I first moved to Newcastle, there was me and my, a good mate of mine shared a flat in the city centre, and we nearly went bankrupt that year because we just partied the whole time. I think I was about 24 at the time. And I said to her that we went to this well-known club on the quayside and we bumped into M people <laughs> who'd been playing at the Metro Arena. And she said, who's M people? <laughs> and at that point... My, Did you break into a stirring rendition of Search for the Hero? No, but, at, but at, that, at that point, my heart sunk and I just thought, you are old. You've just been showing up for being old. Well, if you want to feel old, how do you think I feel? Because I suspect I'm the only person here that actually saw Jaws at the cinema. I saw it at the cinema. But did it go on re-release? <laughs> what, you saw it when it opened? <laughs> no, not when no, it opened. No, 1975. It was about two or three no, years ago it was re-released, Steve. Yeah, I did see it at the cinema. Yeah, OK. I'm Sorry, I meant at the cinema when it opened. <laughs> First time around. I wouldn't have been allowed. In 1975. No, no, but we're all in our 40s. You're in the 60s, so, you know. <laughs> I thought, I've got to say, I think at the age of eight, I was a bit young to go and see Jules. My sister was six. Way too young to go and see Jules because it's really scary and yeah, quite violent. I, I was seven. Or seven or, I think I was seven when I went. So they must have it must have been on in cinemas a couple of years like afterwards as well. Well, they, the back of those days, they would have been on on over and over again. Yeah. They, they would keep re-releasing it. So I guess why is it so enduring? Why do we still love it so much? Why is it in my top three? And and for me, and I can't speak for everybody, but for me, it's character development. Is it's the three characters? It's the three guys in the fight to the death. It does no matter who the foe is. It, it's it's the journey of these three characters and, and the one misfit and it's the one misfit that steals the show the whole monologue about the USS Indianapolis it, that cinema gold I think that's what dif- differentiates Jaws from what you know these days would be a typical summer I mean I, I think Jaws did wasn't a summer blockbuster in a traditional sense but it did start the trend for it but I don't think you would get that happening in a modern blockbuster where the film stops for 10 minutes so they can do that monologue and that great bonding scene between those three characters it's the kind of character stuff that you, you would have got in the 70s, but you just don't get that kind of character development now. Or even those kind of character actors. I mean, all three of them are not stars. I mean, you know, they were made, they became quite well known after the film, but I don't think um, Roy, Schneider, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, or um, Robert Shaw are stars in any sense of the word, but they, they were certainly really good character actors. Uh, and that's what they bring to it. They bring real character to those roles. And so you totally buy into their relationship uh, and you like them. Um, even Quint, you kind of like. So you're worried about them and you, and you fear for them and that makes it all the better. And I think, um, I think it stands has time for a couple of reasons. One, I think is just really, really well made and written and performed. But also I think that Spielberg, I think he said this himself, got a little bit lucky really because the shark didn't work. So you had to be clever and imaginative it and find have been, ways around it. It, just it wouldn't, wouldn't have been anywhere near as good no, now if that no. shark had been in too many shots. No, it, it wouldn't. And I think as well, because it, it tripled the shooting schedule in terms of time, and they were rewriting the script as they were going. So it was rewritten as they went along. And they had the time to spend on rewriting and refining it. I mean, that, that monologue speech was written about six or seven times, according to one of the documentaries that I watched, yeah. um, before it, before they were happy with it. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's, it's one of these things where everything came into place to make a great film. And I don't think you could capture that magic again in a bottle in, in any way. And I don't think modern audiences would put up with it, Mark. Um, yeah, well, you're testing my memory <laughs> big time because I haven't seen it in, in ages. But um, yeah, I, I, the characters is definitely spot on with that. And, and the development of the story was, there was real tension. I, I, I can really remember that. It was a palpable kind of 
you know, when's it going to jump out? When's it going to get you? I think that was, you know, that was the, or them rather. That, that was, you know, it was quite a thing for me at that age. Um, yeah, it's a great film. And Black Human. I need well. to watch it again. I really do. And I didn't have time in between <laughs> the podcast being uh, revolved around this end subject. And <laughs> now. But I'll definitely give it another watch. I'm trying to rank my brain, Steve, but I, I can't think of many other films that have had the same kind of impact in terms of, uh, you know, starting a trend in terms of summer blockbusters and being a film that, after 40 years, is still in personal top tens. Other than the obvious, yeah. and uh, other than the obvious things as a kid that you love, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and ET, I'm struggling to think of anything that that you know, body of work wise, it still stands out like that. I think maybe, um, I guess, The Godfather might come into that category as, as a big hit movie that still is still regarded as being a bit of a classic. But certainly, um, I mean, for what was, if, I think where 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 it really nails it is in terms of how it adapted the book. Because if anyone's ever read the book Jaws, it's not very good. Uh, it's a real, you know trashy pot boiler basically um but they they sensibly cut out all the unnecessary um you know, side plots and it's concentrated purely on the initial arrival of the shark and then the hunt to kill it with the three guys on the boat basically at the end the second half of the film um and that was sensible um and, and i think that was the right approach to take also um can you imagine jaws without john williams's score Again, that that really really adds to it in every. See, I mean, it's, it's a great score, not just the dun 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 a bit, but if you just listen to the the way there's that kind of the, the the whole orchestra picks up as they're on the boat sailing, and it's it's a fantastic score, it really absolutely brilliantly um, enhances the film. Um, it's, I just it's one, it's one of those perfect storms where everything came together just at the right time. So you had Spielberg, you know, who was really starting to come into his own as a director and, and was just full of youth. I mean, too dumb, too young and stupid to know better than to try and shoot an entire film on the sea, basically, for a start, as he's pointed out himself since. Uh, and therefore, he would try anything. And I think that and, and then the shark didn't work. So they had to be imaginative about how they could uh, you know, give you the presence of the shark without physically showing it, which I think enhances the film immeasurably. Uh, a really well chosen cast, a great, um, ultimately a great script and uh, adaptation um fantastic score um just ends up being one of in my for my money a near perfect film the the other clever little thing little trick that he played and it was mentioned in one of the documentaries and you don't think about it until it's actually pointed out to you but if the camera had been five feet higher like it would normally be placed you wouldn't have that sense of uh dread and foreboding because the camera was placed at water height for a lot of the water shots so it was almost like you were um you're basically uh, at the water level you were in the water uh, didn't he also remove red trick. from the color scheme yeah apart from blood and red wine i think in that yeah. scene when they're having wine that's the only time you see red really yeah and some great is... improvisation as well because that whole scene with the kid copying yeah. the, the moves that was all improvised and the big line of the movie we're going to need a bigger boat wasn't even in the script it was yeah. it was ad-libbed yeah, no, um, it's, it's, it is a super, it, really, it genuinely is a classic. And it, it reminds you that I think for my money, the 70s were, you know, were the golden era of films when, when you got really intelligently made adult films that were aimed at a mass, you know, mass audience, but were still didn't, didn't pander or, 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 you know, become juvenile to try and target a, a younger audience. I mean, they were made for everyone. And so even Star Wars, which you, know, you could call a kid's film, I think still appeals to adults as well and, and has a kind of a harder more realistic, if you know what I mean, um, edge to it. And then you got, you know, some of the big hits of the 70s were things like Godfather and Exorcist, which were R-rated films. But the people were, the students were prepared to make films for adults back then. And unfortunately, that isn't the case now. And even something like Jurassic World, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed, 
Yeah, actually, probably one of the reasons why I enjoyed it was because it didn't. Uh, it did have some kids in it and kids in trouble, if you like, like in the original but Jurassic Park. But it didn't feel like it was. Um, it was juvenile, making it to, for a juvenile audience. It felt like it was being made for a for a general adult audience as well as for kids, and that that's something that the seventies did really well, and, and we kind of lost in the eighties and into the nineties. I guess we're kind of lucky as well, um, being born when you were born, Steve and Mark, because uh, it could be said that 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 was the second or third golden generation of Hollywood, really, from the 80s and 90s, when you look at Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and, you know, all, all the big... Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. I mean, some really, really big, big influential movies around that time as well. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah, just, I mean, you know me those directors, and I was far more into movies 15 years ago than I am now. I was, I, I just kind of lost interest with the cinema, but you don't seem to get those those greats anymore. So I, I I've not really thought about it as consciously, but I, you know, I, I found movies a lot better sort of 15, 20 years ago than I do now. That's probably because you're busy trying to wrangle however many children you've got. That's, that's a possibility. <laughs> and, and, and you may be watching films that are perhaps more geared to them than yourself. I mean, I've, I finally got around to watching Whiplash the other day, and. Uh, I mean, I, I have to say, I wasn't actually fully in the mood for it, um, but needed needs must. And um, I, I, I don't recall. I, it, I, it, I don't think it, it's you know you can judge it by any epoch. There's no tricks to how it's done or anything like that. It's just a fantastic set of performances and beautifully shot and 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 really well thought out. And you know, I don't. I don't see that giving ground to anything from any any era in Hollywood. It's just a, a fantastic piece of filmmaking, and neither does it have to be judged by doing anything which is in, would have been impossible to do even all the way back to the thirties and forties. It's just great. So, yeah, I do. I do get. I mean, essentially, there are pressures on modern block summer blockbusters, especially which are of their own making, and they aren't. Uh, and and films that that predate predate them do often come off better. I mean, relentless product placement is 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 a curse of modern major filmmaking and things like that. But you know, they, they think things come and things go. I mean, I'm 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 a slightly awkward face here because I was actually um, momentarily distracted because I was reading a set of emails that come in whilst you were eulogising about stuff that happened before I was born. But um, I, was, I was trying to think of. Uh, a summer action movie where uh, more of more recent era where I, I think it would stand up and uh, annoyingly I can't at the moment but nonetheless I, I don't think it, it I don't think it's impossible to recreate what's gone on there I just think at the moment the circumstances are unfavorable to it but it's it, it's not it's not something that's been forgotten how to do I'm just so glad that they haven't decided to remake it <laughs> yeah yet well we've established that as far as you fogies are concerned it's the greatest thing ever <laughs> nothing's ever going to be better hollywood might as no, well no, we just, no, we just did, switch we, over to no, doing we, did, we didn't say any we didn't say any of that ed but it, it is one of those rare where everything just comes together and it turns into an absolute classic and i'm it, i suppose in a, in some way you could say that about jurassic park the original couldn't you steve you know every, everything came together you know the technology was right at the time mm-hmm. it was the right director again they didn't the, over they didn't over um overcast it no exactly i mean sam neil I, I didn't really know who sam neil was until after jurassic park and i think it'd be fair to say that goldblum hadn't had a hit since the fly yeah i oh, know no independence day 
Was that before? No, no that was after. No, that was after. Yeah. That was after. So right. I think launched. he landed Independence Day on the street. Sam, Sam Neill will always be known to those of us of a certain vintage as being Damien, the adult Damien in Omen 3, and also for playing Riley Ace of Spies on TV. But, uh, and yeah. um, and uh, what's his chops in, uh, in The Hunt for Red October? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, they, 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 they cast it wisely and, and they sensibly kept the effects to you know, the um, computer effects to a minimum. Yeah, and even the annoying kids aren't that annoying because it's a Spielberg no. film. So. Yeah, sometimes films get lucky. I mean, often it's the ones people think are going to be disasters that turn out to be the ones that make do really well. Uh, Casablanca is the classic example where, you know, there was the trouble with casting and uh, problems with the script. And they didn't even get it finished and didn't even decide on the ending until the last minute. But um, became, uh, you know, like an absolute classic. So it can work out all right on the day. It's like this podcast sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we haven't, had a hit. we haven't had a hit for years, Steve. <laughs> and uh, the Daily Marsh, just this second, have tweeted, Jurassic World not accurate, says tedious little man. They must have been listening to the podcast. <laughs> And on that bombshell, uh, that is it for the podcast this week. Thanks for listening. My thanks to Steve Withers. Reverse Darwinism, survival of the most idiotic. Mark Hodgkinson. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. And Ed Selly. Through our church. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. And you can also leave us a rating on iTunes, uh, but only if you enjoyed the show. And make sure it's five stars, please, people. Uh, there is a gaming podcast. It might come while this podcast is. We don't know. But have a look for the gaming podcast. It is out there. And uh, we'll see you again on the weekly podcast next Wednesday. <laughs>